I am excited today to have Dan Gingis on the podcast. Dan is the Chief Experience Officer at The Experience Maker. He is an international keynote speaker, a CX coach, an author, and fellow podcast host. Ladies and gentlemen, he does it all. Welcome to the podcast, Dan. Thank you, Nick. Very, very excited to be here and chat with you. I am definitely all about pressing one for Nick. <laughs> That's awesome. So before we get started on customer experience, I believe it was on Twitter where you mentioned that you once delivered a pizza to the man, the myth, the legend, Michael Jordan. Is that true? I did indeed. I was uh, for most of high school and a couple summers in college, I was a pizza delivery boy at Domino's and uh, the man, the legend ordered from Domino's all the time. Uh, and it was interesting because we knew when the order came in, you knew whether it was actually him or not, okay. uh, because if the order was for, say, a bunch of cheese pizzas, that was generally the housekeeper ordering for the kids. That was a no-go. You didn't want that. <laughs> order. Uh, if it was pepperoni and sausage, a large pepperoni and sausage, that was Michael ordering, and that that order you wanted. And uh, if the, the only other choice, uh, which I never got, was if it was a whole bunch of pepperoni and sausage pizzas, that meant the boys were over. <laughs> and that was really the holy grail. Um, but yes, I actually delivered to his house twice, um, his old house and his new house. And uh, the first time he answered. And um, I will never forget, he was dressed in bull shorts and, a, and an undershirt you know, I'm not a particularly tall guy. So he is, uh, you know, almost a foot taller than me and, yep. and just looked, you know, just towered cause he's also so muscular. Um, and what I was told ahead of time was that you could either ask for an autograph and he would oblige, but then he wouldn't tip you. Or, uh, if you didn't ask for an autograph, then he was a generous tipper. And, you know, it might have been the customer experience uh, part of me uh, early on as a teenager, but I sort of felt like the guy deserved some privacy when he was ordering pizza. So I did not think asking for uh, an autograph was a really good idea. Um, and so I didn't. And on a, uh, I think it was like a $14 pizza. I think he gave me 40 bucks. So at that, as a teenager, that bucks. felt great. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. I, I thought you were going to say like a signed jersey or a pair of Air Jordan 6s or maybe a, a famous his black beret that he always rocked in the in the last dance. But 40 bucks no, is pretty and, sweet, man. Actually, and you know, the thing I, I won't forget either is um, uh, I, I noticed immediately when he opened up the door, he didn't look right at me. He actually looked over my head, not just because he was tall, but presumably to see if there was anybody else out in his driveway or if there were any, you know, paparazzi or anything like that. And so that's kind of what gave me the cue that eh, this guy just wants to be left alone. And, and um, so that was uh, probably some early CX learning for me. There you go. And, and just to be clear, you were not the one in the last dance who delivered him the, the pizza that was quote unquote poisoned. Uh, correct. And I did, uh, I haven't seen the last dance, but I did hear there was a pizza delivery story and that made me <laughs> chuckle. That's awesome. So uh, today I want to talk about uh, one topic, which is uh, customer experience can be the best sales and marketing strategy. And to get started, what does customer experience mean to Dan Gingis? 
Well, everybody has a slightly different definition. Um, to me, customer experience is how the customer feels about every single interaction with your brand. And that breaks down into two parts, the feeling part, because we know that perception is reality. So we may think we have the best mobile app in the world and our developers may tell us that it's sophisticated and easy to use, but if our customers think it's complex and yep. difficult to use, then unfortunately that's the reality for them. And then the second part is every single interaction. And that's the part where companies really tend to fall down is every single interaction could include everything from a direct mail piece that you send over snail mail to a TV commercial, to a social media post, to a customer service call, to um, interaction on a website or a mobile app, or if you have a physical location, uh, interaction in a physical location. And all of those experiences add up to a single perception from the customer, whereas from the business perspective, those are all different experiences and we yeah. don't necessarily look at them as one whole. And then again, that's where the disconnect often is. Yeah. So who does look at it for as one whole is the customer. So that's how you should be looking at that experience. So I, I love that. So explain to me how customer experience can be the best sales and marketing strategy. So uh, to me, I mean, I was a marketer for 20 plus years in corporate America and I have managed marketing teams in pretty much every marketing channel there is with the exception of television. Yeah. And so I love marketing and I've been doing it for my whole career. So for me to say customer experience is the best marketing, it's intentionally meant to be uh, a little bit, uh, not controversial, but it's meant to, to make you, you know, the, remember the old song, things that make you go, Hmm, yeah. uh, that's kind of what it's meant to do. And what I have found is that, in almost every case, instead of focusing on the next email campaign or the next social media post, if instead we focused on getting a customer to say something nice about us out in public, it's far more valuable. We know the credibility factor of ratings and reviews or customer or friend and family referrals is so much higher than anything the brand can say or do. And, uh, and yet we put so much money into marketing and not nearly enough money into our existing customers. And I know you know that feeling because you're in the customer service business, the amount of investment in customer service compared to marketing often pales. Um, and then as I spent more time both working for and working with B2B companies, I added that sales element because what I realized was in so many cases, we have a leaky bucket. We have customers walking out the back door while we are 100% focused on sales and new sales and bringing in new customers. And so if we don't focus on our existing customers and they're walking out the door, that actually makes it tougher on a sales team because they now have to compensate for the, the negative sales, if you will, for the revenue going down of people leaving. And uh, I mean, at one company I worked for, literally for every million dollars in net sales, the sales team had to sell $1.4 million. And, and that is, that gets overwhelming, right? So if we're focused on customers and keeping customers and keeping them happy, makes it easier for the sales team, but it also makes it easier for the marketing team because we have so many people talking about us in a positive way. We've basically gained that holy grail of marketing, which is word of mouth. And that's what everybody's looking for. And the mistake that a lot of CMOs make is they think that word of mouth marketing comes from, oh, can't you just create a viral video? 
right? And no, we can't. If we knew how to do that, we, we would do it every day. Um, but what we can do is create happy customers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I, you know, I, I think it's, uh, that is a definitely a, a misconception of creating a, a viral video and kind of shooting for the moon and, and hoping that uh, that's kind of what you're going for. But so how do you identify the types of experiences people share most often and, and why? So I have uh, created my own framework for that, that I like to call wise, because I like to make audience members and, and clients wise. And Y stands for witty, immersive, shareable, and extraordinary. And those are the four facets that I have found in any combination. You don't have to create experiences that are all four of those, but you need to have at least one of them to create what is what I call a remarkable experience. And I use the word remarkable intentionally because remarkable literally means worthy of remark or worthy of discussion. So we want an experience that's so good that people are willing to talk about it. And I read a really interesting study that said that consumers are actually more willing to share positive experiences than they are negative experiences. But when I talk to consumers or audiences and I say, who remembers the last time they had a great experience with a brand, the answer is almost nobody. And then yeah. when you ask, well, who remembers the last time they were frustrated by a brand yeah. and every hand goes up. So yeah. the reality is that we all perceive that in social media, for example, that people only share negative stories. And to some extent that's true because we have a lot of negative stories to share. But the secret is if, if consumers are more willing to share positive experiences and the problem just is they don't have enough positive experiences to share, then we as companies can fix that by creating experiences that they want to share. Now, I would be remiss if I walked off stage or if I left a client only making them wise. And so I like to make them wiser than the competition. And the R in wiser is being responsive. And that is really about engagement and uh, being there for a customer on social media or in customer service channels when they need us and being in the channels that they need us in. Um, and one of the things I've found is that as companies create remarkable experiences and get this positive commentary, especially on social media, then the next step that they sometimes forget to do is engage back with somebody. I mean, if somebody takes time out of their day to compliment you in public using their social capital, the least we can do as a company is say, thank you. You know, we love you back. We appreciate you as a customer. And a lot of times companies miss that opportunity. So wiser is the framework for creating remarkable experiences that people want to share. That's awesome. That is some wise advice. I, I would have to say, I see what you uh, did there. Yeah. <laughs> so you kind of said some of the good stuff around, you know, people providing compliments. Hey, maybe you should try to find ways to engage with them. Uh, not just once, but, but every time that people are interacting with them because that doesn't happen and it's hard to get. But what about, what about the complaints? What should the listeners do about the complaints? Well, if I can, for one second, I want to touch on the compliments again. And I'll come back to the complaints again. You're in customer service. One of the reasons why companies aren't equipped to deal with compliments is that no one in the history of the world, has called a toll-free number and gotten to a call center for the sole purpose of giving a compliment, right? Yeah. And whenever I talk to call center agents, I sort of say that joke, you know, you know, when's the last time you picked up the phone and the person on the other line was just calling to say how great you are, right? Ha right. ha, <laughs> that never happens. But people do that in social media all the time. And the reality is we've never had a team 
that's even trained to deal with compliments because customer service agents aren't. Um, and so for a while, the social media teams created this thing called community management to do that. But the reality is, is it's better placed in the customer service team. So on complaints, my feeling is, first of all, don't be afraid of complaints. Um, complaints are usually, as all feedback is, feedback is a gift. And complaints usually are a gift because they're telling you where your experience is coming up short. And generally, they're telling you how to fix it, right? And who doesn't want to get better, whether it is as an employee or as a person or as a company, right? Uh, when I was in corporate America and doing uh, employee reviews all the time, I and the managers that worked for me, I always required that every review have three strengths and three opportunities. And the reason I did that was because it forces a manager to think about both sides of the equation for an employee. It gives the employee useful feedback, right? If I just say, hey, Nick, you know, you're smart and handsome and doing a great job at work. You're like, well, thanks, but I can't do anything with that because I'm already smart and handsome and doing a great job at work. And I, so there's nothing for me to take with that. But if I say, hey, Nick, you're smart and handsome and doing a great job with, with work, but here's three things that I think that you can work on. Yeah. Now you can say, well, awesome. You know, my boss thinks I'm smart and handsome and I'm doing a great job but I also have some opportunities to even do better. And to me, I look at complaints that way because complaints are a customer saying, hey, you're disappointing me. You're not giving me the experience I expect. However, I want you to fix it. Because remember, the people that don't complain have already left for your competition, Yeah. right? So if you look at a complaint that way, you say, oh, thank you so much for this complaint. We really appreciate it. We're going to fix it and we're going to keep you as a customer versus all the people that didn't bother complaining and just decided to go on to our competition. Yeah, I, I call them the silent killers. They are. Because if, and that's if, the if leaky you, bucket all over. Right, again. right. Yeah. If you have no idea who they are or, or that you even paid attention to them when they left. Um, you know, uh, somebody calling in and saying, Hey, I'm going to cancel my, my cable. And the, the person's trying to upsell you or cross sell you in the meantime. And you're like, you're not even listening to me. Uh, you know, or they're trying to push you to somebody else and saying, Hey, what I can do for you is now. And I'm like, Hey, it's too late. Like you, you didn't pay attention to me for the last three years. My goal is to just to, to go viral and, and be remarkable and shareable is to just share everything that Dan Gingas does and just try <laughs> to hold on to his coattails. Uh, Very yeah. nice of you. Yeah, so uh, that's that's my goal. If anybody else wants to take that uh, and run with it, please feel free to do that. But you know, so how do you go about? Um, uh, how does customer engagement lead to increased loyalty? So, my belief is that consumers today, and this actually was led by the millennial generation. I think, uh, and I think Gen Z has picked it up and then it's sort of leaked into older generations like mine um, that have realized that they want this too. But consumers today want a relationship with the brands that they spend money with. And that is what we call in social media engagement. Or actually, it doesn't just have to be social media, right? I mean, the way that a company engages with us IRL in real life is important too. We walk into a fast food restaurant and we expect the person behind the counter to smile and say hello and welcome us, not look like we interrupted their otherwise pleasant day, you know, right. by wanting to place an order. And so there's this desire for engagement. And 
what I love about engagement and frankly, what I love about social media is that social media brought this human element to businesses that I don't think was there before. And the reason is because it was the first and only marketing channel where people could talk back. And that's why I was drawn to it immediately. As I said, I've been a marketer for 20 years. I've worked in almost every channel. And all of a sudden you have this channel where when you put out marketing, people can talk back to you and they can give you feedback. And as I said, feedback is a gift. So positive, negative, neutral questions, you know, quips, whatever it is, we now can establish a relationship with consumers. And as it turns out, that voice that consumers got with social media, I think they demanded two things. One was a better experience and two was a relationship with brands. Um, and so if you look, if you roll back, you know, a couple of years, a couple of decades, and you sort of think about what our parents grew up with, the only way that you would engage with a company would be to call or even earlier than that, write a letter, right. you know, and there was no real human engagement with that. And now all of a sudden, um, there's an expectation of sort of human to human contact. And we even see in social media that a lot of companies sign their their posts from people, you know, with the initials or the names of the of the um, call center agent in order to create that human element. So there's a desire from consumers. And I think that engagement, your question was, how does engagement create loyalty? When a brand engages with me, they show me that they value me as a customer, as a human, that I'm not just an account number, that I'm not just a guy who, you know, pays his bill every month, but that I am somebody that they value. And that makes me more loyal to the company. The flip side is obviously true as well. If I ask a question or leave a compliment or make a complaint and I don't get any response in any channel, email, social, messaging, uh, the telephone, etc. It can be really frustrating, and it makes me want to be less loyal. So engagement is one of those keys to loyalty today. That the companies that do it really well are seeing boosts in loyalty. Yeah, yeah. So who, what are do you have a, uh, an example or a few companies who are doing it really well? Um, yeah, I think that there are companies of all sizes that I think are. Are doing it really well. Um, one of the companies that I just love and I'm a customer of is called Imperfect Produce. And they are a company that essentially takes produce from farms that doesn't look quite as nice as the grocery stores want it to. And they package it up in a subscription box. And sometimes it's just excess, but sometimes you get fruit and vegetables that are really large or really small or a little bit dented or whatever, but they're perfectly edible. And hmm. they're doing a great job. I mean, I mentioned them a lot on, on social because I mentioned them on stage and et cetera, but uh, they do a really great job of not only chiming in, but chiming in with this sort of tone of voice and element of fun uh, that ties back to their product, right? So they'll, um, you know, they'll use vegetable and fruit emojis or they'll, you know, they'll do something that is, again, tied back into their business, which I really love. Um, even big companies like Wendy's have started doing a really nice job of engaging with customers. And having worked for McDonald's, I can tell you it is almost impossible to engage with everybody because there's just so much 
Uh, there's just so many references every day, upwards of millions. Um, but I do think that Wendy's has done a particularly good job of identifying certain posts that are worthy of commentary on. You think about the uh, the guy that wanted the free chicken nuggets, for example, and, uh, and, and they've really taken that and then turned it into marketing, which I think is brilliant. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I've seen it on, on Twitter uh, a decent amount where people are saying, hey, if you, if you retweet this, Wendy's, in the next 45 minutes, I'll buy your entire menu. And within like two minutes, they, they, they heart it or retweet it. And they're like, uh, you know, and they're like, wow, I didn't expect that. And he's like, yeah, you did. <laughs> like, you know that, you know who we are, you know that we're going to respond and we're, you know that we're going to uh, try to do what's best for the customer. So um, I've been following Wendy's for a little while and they've been, they've been uh, tackling that uh, quite a bit. So, um, you know, what, you know, you kind of touched on creating remarkable experiences. Uh, what's the benefit of creating these experiences? Well, again, the, the, as consumers, most of the experiences we have with brands are what my millennial friends would call meh. You know, they're just, they're unremarkable. They're so-so or average. And obviously we don't talk about those. Uh, you know, no one in the history of the world has said, hey, Nick, let me tell you about this perfectly average restaurant experience I had last night. If you have a perfectly average restaurant experience, you're not telling anyone about it. Yeah. What you're telling people about are the great experiences and the crappy experiences. And so, and the problem is, as we mentioned before, we have a lot of experiences that are below our expectations, that frustrate us, that make us angry. And one of the things that happened with social for sure is social became a channel of last resort, right? I called, they put me on hold for an hour. I emailed, they didn't respond. I tried to chat on their website, chat wasn't working. And now I'm really angry. And so I'm gonna go and I'm gonna show them in public, right? And unfortunately that happens all the time. So the only way I believe that we can turn around sentiment on social media, if we're not Wendy's, is to create experiences that people want to talk about that are positive instead of negative. And people love hearing stories. They love telling stories and hearing stories about great experiences with brands. And the benefit is when I see a company like Wendy's that is treating their customers that way, I say, I want to go eat at Wendy's. Like I want to be a customer of that company. I want in on that. I want to be a part of that movement. And the companies big or small that are doing that are seeing that, you know, in social media or even in real life where people tell their friends at parties and what have you, that's the best way to get a new customer because you have, it's a, in essence, a free referral. It's a current yeah. customer saying, yeah, come aboard. This is a great company. I love doing business with them and I don't mind spending money to do so. You know, I've worked, I've worked with so many companies that have asked the question about how do we become like Amazon? Because Amazon tends to be one of these universally loved companies by its mm -hmm. customers. Now, granted, it is also a company that gets a lot of criticism, I think unwarranted, because um, to me, Amazon is what it is because it provides a consistently incredible experience. Yep. Every time I run out of some item in my house, even if it's obscure, I ran out of this obscure uh, light bulb the other day. And of course, I didn't have a replacement. I had to go see, you know, it was a, I don't know, 42 watt, LDS.6. And I'm like, I don't even know what that is. But of course, I type it right into Amazon and boom, tomorrow yeah. I'm going to have 
you know, an extra set of light bulbs at my house. So it is, the experience is so incredible. But one of the things that they've done with uh, their Prime program is they've managed to add so much value to it that even as they increase the price of it, almost no one questions when that renewal comes up because they look at it and they're like, yep, that's worth it. I'm going to do it again. It's not even a consideration. And the companies that ask, well, why can't we be more like Amazon? The first thing I say is, are you providing that kind of value? Are you providing, can, have you ever thought of adding something to your product for free? What? What do you mean? Well, that's what Amazon did, right? Prime didn't used to include video. And now Prime Video is one of the biggest benefits of, of a, being a Prime member. Uh, and, and they've got free eBooks and they've got, you know, there's so many different reasons to be a prime member now, not just the two day shipping. And it becomes this thing that nobody bats an eye at paying reasonable money for every year. And so in order to be like Amazon, number one, you can't beat Amazon at being Amazon because they're right. always going to be good at what they do, but you can learn from them and you can learn from the customer centricity of that company. And the fact that everything is about providing value and making sure that the customer ends up happy. I wrote about an experience that I had where I ordered a set of pot and pots and pans from Amazon and they arrived and one of the glass lids was broken. It was shattered actually. And for whatever reason, I couldn't find any contact information for the manufacturer on the box. So I called up Amazon and all I wanted them to do was send me a replacement lid. Yep. Immediately, the woman said, I'm just going to refund your money. Keep the pots. And it was amazing because I went from wanting a replacement lid and sort of being disappointed to thinking, eh, I could probably do without that lid. And so that makes me even more loyal to, right. to Amazon. And that's what companies seem to miss is that, um, yeah, it cost Amazon some money to, to give me those pots and pans for free. But in the end, they more than made up for it for the hundreds and hundreds of orders that I place every year and continue to be loyal for. No, that's a great story. I, I was actually in the market for a, a grill. Um, so I was comparing the grill that I wanted and I was going back and forth between, you know, the, the Home Depot's, the Lowe's, the, the, and, and I creeped on Amazon and, and typed that in. I was like, Hey, that's interesting. They have a kind of a sale going on. Let's take a look at it. And I was like, well, my kind of go-to that's closest location to me is a Home Depot. And I kind of like shopping with them. So let me call them up. And they said, I said, Hey, I got this grill. This is the one I want. And they said, okay, interesting. I said, but I can find it cheaper on Amazon. There's any way you can price match it. And he's like, well, where is it? It's not, a, you know, your price isn't from Lowe's or, or any other our, of our quote unquote competitors. And I said, no, it's from Amazon. He's like, oh, well, we don't consider them a competitor. And he's like, so good luck with that. And Big I was mistake. like, yeah, he, <laughs> he hung up and I'm like, my mind is like blown. I'm like, you're saying that you're not a competitor of Home Depot or of uh, Amazon. You're you're crazy. So uh, I think uh, the leadership at Home Depot needs to have a conversation with the, with the frontline employees on what, what's beneficial or not. For sure. And I just want to touch on the, the Amazon haters for a second because, uh, you know, the example that I like to give is Toys R Us. So may Toys R Us rest in peace. Uh, one of my favorite stores as a kid, right? But the problem with Toys R Us was that Toys R Us for Dan in his 40s and Toys R Us for Dan as a kid 
was the exact same store, right? It was basically just a warehouse with shelves full of toys. You compare that to the Lego store where they intentionally put out lots of Legos for kids to play with and tables for them to play on. And it becomes this destination store or there's a great toy store in uh, in one of the Chicago neighborhoods. It's just a mom and pop toy store and they focused on board games. And there's two things that stand out to me. Number one is when you walk in, the employees are basically like human versions of the Amazon recommendation machine. So they say, oh, you like Settlers of Catan? Well, you're going to love this game, this game, and this game. But the other thing is in the back of the store, they've carved out space for a board game library. And you can check out any board game that you want. You can sit down and play it with friends. They even have like singles nights where they have board game night and they invite people over. <laughs> and it's brilliant because board games nowadays can be 35, 50, 75 dollars. And before you spend that kind of money, you want to know you're going to like the game. And to me, that's how you compete with Amazon. So whenever somebody says, well, I don't like Amazon because, you know, they hurt a small business or my local business. I say, no, your local business, your mom and pop business is hurting itself because yeah. they believe that they should get your business just because they're on the corner of your neighborhood. And mm -hmm. As we said before, that's not what customers expect anymore, that you have to do better than that. And so am I going to spend a little bit more money at the local store in Chicago to buy a board game? Absolutely I am because they've provided an experience for me that frankly Amazon can't. And so I can be an Amazon loyalist and shop at a mom and pop store, but I don't necessarily but, – but the mom and pops have to do what this board game store is doing, not what Toys R Us was doing. And that's yep. to me – it's a very big difference. But you look at how many stores are still not experiential and not you know anything more than products on shelves. And then unfortunately, it becomes a battle for price like, like you had um, with your grill. And when you battle Amazon for price, you're generally going to lose. When you bet yeah. a Walmart for price, you're generally going to lose, right? And so if price is what you're battling on, good luck to you. You're not going to be in business for very long. If experience is what you're battling on, you can win that one. Yep. No, that's a great point. So I end the podcast uh, with all my guests with two questions. And, and the first question is, is what book or person has influenced you the most in the, in the first, in the past year? And the second question is, is if you could leave a note to all the customer service or uh, customer experience professionals, what would it say? All right. I'm going to answer the second one first. The note would say, don't take it personally. And, <laughs> uh, you know, unfortunately there are still some nasty people out there and consumers suck sometimes. And we take out our frustration on the poor customer service agent that had nothing to do with our problem. And when that customer service agent's hands are tied, it's not their fault that their hands are tied. It's the company's fault. Right. right. And so, um, I think the best agents have a really thick skin and are just able to slough it off and not take it personally. So that would be my note to them. Okay. The book that is um, <clears throat> really impacted me ironically is not a, customer experience book, but uh, my good friend Marcus Sheridan wrote a book called They Ask You Answer, and uh, it is one of my favorite books. I would characterize it more as a marketing book. However, it has a customer experience lens to it because the whole idea is about creating content that your customers want and answering their questions as honestly and upfront as possible. 
And Marcus tells the story about uh, a swimming pool company that he owns uh, and how in the downturn of 2008, they went basically from being very profitable to having no orders at all. And that's when he started blogging. And one of the first questions that he answered was how much does it cost to install an in-ground swimming pool? And he was shocked to learn when he Googled that question that nobody had answered that question. And so he answered it as honestly as he could, which by the way, included the words, it depends. Because it depends on the size that you want, the shape that you want. Do you want it heated? Do you want it this? Do you want it that? But he explained it in such detail that that continues to be one of the most visited pages on his website. And, and he has credited it with selling millions of dollars worth of swimming pools um, wow. just by answering a question that, that people have. Um, so They Ask You Answer is a terrific book and I've actually used it with some of my consulting clients. I, I joke with Marcus that I've sold more of his books than I've sold of my own book because <laughs> uh, I recommend it so often. But uh, I would definitely check that one out. You won't be disappointed with it. That's awesome. Uh, so how do people get in touch with Dan Gingis? You know, they, they want to uh, book you for a keynote. They want to, um, you know, read your book. They want to connect with you on, on, online. Um, you know, I, I have a few, but maybe there's a couple more on LinkedIn. It's uh, slash uh, Dan Gingis on uh, the website is dangingis.com and on Twitter uh, is D Gingis. Is there any way, anything else that, uh, they can connect with you um, and or find ways to to get you to speak at their event. Yeah, the website's the best place to do that. Um, also, my email is dan at dangingis.com, so that's pretty easy as well. The only challenge is you got to know how to spell gingis, which is G-I-N-G-I-S-S. Uh, but if you get past that, you should be able to find me. Uh, I try to make myself uh, as available as possible. And because I practice what I preach, if you reach out to me, uh, I will absolutely respond to you. That's awesome. And then the last thing, uh, I know that you're working on your second book. Uh, can you tell us just a quick 30-second snippet of, of what you're working on? Sure. I am going to uh, write about the Wiser methodology, which is also the subject of uh, my most popular keynote. And uh, really open up the vaults to all of the examples that I have. I have a whole library of examples and every keynote can only share so many of them. So I'll, I'll share a handful, but I'm going to really open up the vault and, and share tons of examples, a dozen or more for each one of those letters so that people are inspired to go back to their business and execute on a remarkable experience. And then it's also going to do something that keynotes really can't do, which is get into implementation. And so, yeah. all right, now you're inspired, but how do you work through all of the red tape in your organization in a methodical way to execute on improved customer experiences? So it should be, I'm really excited about it. Um, I've taken some of this downtime to, to really focus head down and write, uh, and mm -hmm. it's almost done. And then uh, we'll work on getting it published. That is great. Uh, so keep an eye out for uh, Dan Gingas's second book around uh, not just about being wiser, but how to implement it. Uh, Dan, I really appreciate your time and looking forward to uh, continue reading your content and, and the next book. Thank you, Nick. Really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for having me on. You're welcome.